Do the phrases feel-good movie and rape culture ever belong together? In this episode of The Soul of Life, I speak again with Sandy Angulo Chen, a film critic and writer for Common Sense Media. We realize that parents don't have the time to see and read and listen and play everything that their children are asking. About several new films and shows that handle some fairly radioactive cultural themes, like the Amy Poehler-directed Moxie that follows a teenage girl's coming of age as a feminist. Hey, Mom, what do uh, 16-year-olds care about? When I was 16, all I cared about was smashing the patriarchy and burning it all down. And pushes back hard against sexism and objectification of women. One of the categories is most bangable girl. Moxie's teachable themes for parents and families take on a darker intensity in the film starring Carrie Mulligan, promising young woman. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? About a young woman traumatized by a sexual assault in her past who seeks vengeance. For a while, you're like, am I watching a horror movie? You are incredibly uncomfortable and you understand your own discomfort while you're watching it. Not a spoiler, Mulligan's character carefully plans serial revenge on men who try to take advantage of her when she pretends to be drunk and helpless. You don't know what she's going to do to these men. And then Sandy and I totally shift gears into sci-fi escapism to talk about the new Marvel Universe series on Disney+, Plus, WandaVision. Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen have wonderful chemistry. Wanda and Vision, aren't we a five-pat? Which showcases some of TV's classic sitcoms in the plot of two superpowered beings living their ideal suburban lives with some rather unreal habits. This is our home now. I want us to fit in. Oh, this is going to be a gas. In real life, they're probably a little too many years apart for me to root for them uh, if I'm thinking about them as both humans. But since he's not human, it's a little bit easier. Am I dead? No. Why would you think that? Because you are. We talk about several other noteworthy series like Boys State a documentary about the Texas chapter of this national civic education group for teens across the U.S. We review Raya and the Last Dragon, a fantasy action-adventure film produced by Walt Disney Pictures, and we talk about the 2021 Oscar nominations, Judas and the Black Messiah. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. And some films Sandy thinks got snubbed. Welcome to the Soul of Life. I'm Keith Miller. I didn't personally love the new Tom and Jerry movie, and I think I did give that two stars. And this is Common Sense Media's Sandy Angulo Chen. I'm Keith Miller, and my podcast, The Soul of Life, is here to help you remember who you really are. I'll bring together people who have gotten off their treadmills. I'll have conversations with athletes, musicians, doctors, scientists, healers, and entrepreneurs to discuss the fascinating edges of our knowledge in neurobiology, psychology, and physics. This is The Soul of Life. Please take the time now to subscribe to The Soul of Life wherever you're listening. Give it a thumbs up or write a positive review. That's the best way to make sure you don't miss out on these amazing episodes planned for season two. Sandy Angulo Chen is a film critic, entertainment reporter, and book reviewer. She's written professionally about movies, books, and pop culture for more than 20 years, contributing to outlets such as Common Sense Media, where she's the senior reviewer, The Washington Post, Kirkus Reviews, EW.com, Movie Phone, and Variety. 
She's a proud member of the Washington Area Film Critics Association, the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, and the nonprofit advocacy group, We Need Diverse Books. Sandy lives in Silver Spring with her husband and three children. It's great to have Sandy here a second time. She was here with me on season one of The Soul of Life, and you're back for season two. You're the only guest that so far has made a a cameo. Congrats. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Keith. Yeah, you're welcome. We're going to dive in and talk about some of your favorite shows, including WandaVision, which is Marvel's new series on Disney+, Plus, Moxie, and Reina and the Last Dragon. Um, maybe before we get there, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you that a couple of shows I've been watching are Queen's Gambit and Cobra Kai. I think you had recommended those last time we spoke. And uh, just a little teaser on this. I'm doing, I'm hoping to do her in the, in the production of an episode with Dominique Dawes, the gold medalist gymnast who resides here in Silver Spring and has a, a gymnastics academy. She's really the real life Daniel LaRusso. I mean, her story is amazing. She is starting this gym. You know, if people follow the Cobra Kai uh, series, they understand the the re- recast of this sort of good versus evil um, stu- uh, gymnastics, or in that case, karate uh, approach, philosophy. And so Dominique Dawes is going to uh, speak about her philosophy and her her opinion that, you know, there, there's a way of training young people that can be too harsh and sort of the win-all mentality. So that's sort of an interesting thing coming up. Uh, we've been enjoying Cobra Kai and uh, and Queen's Gambit. You know, chess has taken on, as you probably know, during the pandemic, has taken on more uh, players, new players than ever. People are playing online. I know our son is playing. I've been playing more with him than ever. So it's been fun to watch Queen's Gambit as well. What are some of the shows that you're you're watching? Well, I did want to say that it's funny that you mentioned Dominique Dawes because my physical therapist, who also grew up in the area and is a Black gymnast, actually a very tall Black gymnast, I would say, she uh, volunteers and works at Dominique Dawes's, uh, you know, I don't know if they call them studios or gyms. Academy. But, yeah. Yes, exactly. And, you know, and for her, it's been interesting hearing her when, you know, as I'm doing my dead bugs and uh, all these other Pilates moves she makes me do each week uh, to talk about what that experience of being a Black gymnast and having Dominique as, as one of her mentors and role models. So I will make sure to tell her to listen in and see yeah. what it's like to, to hear her on a, on a show. Um, I, again, love both of those series. I think they obviously have very different things and topics to, to discuss, but, you know, they were both just so well made. Uh, yeah, in, in our house, because now we're down to two children at home, our oldest is in college. So we no longer have to worry about what he wants to watch when we have family movie night. Uh, we have had a devoted Friday time to see WandaVision on Disney Plus because of the fact that we all enjoyed the Avengers movies. I am not a super a super fan, I would say. I mean, I enjoyed do, them. Do you get I, confused like I do? <laughs> um, so I don't get super confused because of the children, because they <laughs> know so you. much more about the... And especially when my oldest was home, he's probably our biggest comics geek in the family. So mm-hmm. he has mm-hmm. a, a really encyclopedic knowledge of not just the movies, but the comics themselves and the different iterations of the comics and the characters. There's so and, much cross-referencing, right? I'm, I'm really just beginning to realize that, it, it, that, that some of these things which 
just appear bizarre or kind of kind of one-off kind of um, throwaway sort of lines. They're actually really tightly written. It is a show that obviously benefits fans who know every single little thing, but it is also completely accessible to families, even I would say to grandparents when that's a thing again, right? When your your children can watch things with their grandparents, because the way that WandaVision works is it's the story of Wanda and Vision, which is a, so it's perfect, but it also, it also works perfectly as their couple's name and in the idea of how you would watch television, right? So WandaVision, it sort of takes off of the various sitcoms from various decades in pop culture history. So starting with shows like the Dick Van Dyke show or Bewitched and going all the way through, you know, the Brady Bunch, all the way up to Malcolm in the Middle. And you see all of the the ways that television has changed just by watching this one show. Is it helpful if you've seen at least Avengers, Infinity Wars and Endgame? Absolutely. I would say if you have not seen those two films and don't know who the main characters are, you should probably do a little marathon right. of at least those right. two movies before this is set you jump three in. weeks after the events of Avengers Ed Gam, which was a 2019 film. Exactly. And so for the sake of just not having to stop and pause and look at Wikipedia every few seconds, it right. probably would be best to to you know, and that's those are all available on Disney Plus as well. But so watch we, watch Avengers Endgame and what's the other one to watch maybe the before just, this. The, just the, yeah, the, the final two, I would say, would be good in terms of sort of figuring out who these characters are and what's going on. But at, at least, at the very least, Endgame, right? Okay. Because otherwise you have, there's there's not a lot of, of point of reference. But all right. of the characters appear in various, I mean, the supporting characters that we're seeing helping them along the way or sort of talking to them, many of them are already mentioned in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or obviously the ones that you may not know much about are in comics lore. So that, it was sort of fascinating to see my kids take the lead when it came to the plot line, but for us to remind them, oh, this is just like this sitcom, which you may or may not be aware of. And it really got them interested because to them, you know, Malcolm in the Middle was still before they were old enough to really watch TV. Mm-hmm. So they kind of knew about some of the sitcoms, but I don't know if we'd ever really watched them. So it made them curious about some of the things that they were watching and the laugh track, because there's, you know, except for kids' shows, there's not a whole lot of shows with laugh right. tracks. So, right. Right. so it, was, um, it, it was fun. Have you guys started it yet? In your I have house? not. I've not started it. No. I mean, we're still working through Watchmen, if you can believe that. Like, I think we got sort of stuck in some of the episodes of Watchmen that began to get, I mean, it start. I mean, let's just admit, I think Watchmen has a dark, dark sort of plot theme. Um, but it's also twisting in or weaving in real life themes that are just dark, like racism and vigilante justice and, um, um, lynching, you know, right. So it's, uh, you know, racial, racial violence. Um, but so I think we sort of got like burnt out somewhere in the middle of Watchmen and we're still trying to piece together like, okay, what? What is going on? 
Do you but, watch it as a family or do you? No, just to- just my son and I. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. I think that's the, those are the only two audience members that would be interested. Yeah, I wasn't sure that. Yeah, I don't. Not sure that I would watch Watchmen with a with a middle schooler mm-hmm. unless they were incredibly mature. But I do think for a high schooler, especially if they're interested in the graphic novel. And by the way, I'm happy to lend it to you if you would like yeah, to read it. I've had many it. people I- offer to, and I've had it in my hands in the bookstore, and I've just like I've I've been interested. <laughs> right, I'll I ha- haven't I'll- been like ready to read it. I'll have to do a drive-by and just <laughs> leave it on your drop it <laughs> off. I'll probably. WandaVision sounds like it's a lighter comic series. It is a lighter series, except that one of the major themes, which I don't think will be a spoiler for anybody who has seen the Avengers movies, is grief and loss and how you process that. So I would love to hear your thoughts on it because as someone who has spent their career talking to people who have experienced that kind of pain and how they move forward from it, I think it's... It's just an incredibly, it's so much deeper than you would think. Mm. And I do think people don't give those movies, sometimes they they can be snobbish about the movies as well. But I think there are so many themes that are touched upon um, in the show. You have to get over the fact that the the main character has a red face. (laughs) Or... Some of these other movies that you're talking to, like what, what's Rocket? What's the character Groot? Groot and Rocket. The Groot uh, Rocket is like this, like little animal, right? He's, but he talks, right? So you have to get over these, <laughs> right? You have right, exactly. Or or they're aliens, or they're there's obviously these are superhumans. In the case of Vision, he's yeah. not even he's like a sentient. I, I forget the terminology for it because again, I'm not the the super fan, but you know he's sort of like this all knowing sentient you know, right. almost AI, right. but who can somehow take this kind of humanoid form. And Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen have wonderful chemistry. Like you see, I think more than almost any of the other Avengers couples, so to speak, because, you know, each one of them, many of them have had romances. I think it's really, it's kind of a powerful connection that they have and they did a great job. In real life, they're probably a little too many years apart for me to root for them uh, if I'm thinking about them as both humans. But since he's not human, it's a little bit easier to not have to think about that. Um, So after WandaVision, I did want to recommend the Netflix movie, which is an adaptation of a young adult novel that won many awards. In fact, here in Maryland, it's one of our Black Eyed Susan picks, and that's called Moxie. And it's directed and also stars Amy Poehler, but she is not the main character. She is the mom. And unlike her very, I would say, uh, almost annoying mom in Mean Girls, who's like super permissive and just wants to seem cool, she's still very cool in this, in this movie, but it's really about her daughter who witnesses the unfairness of a dress code at her high school and is inspired by her mother's 90s sort of riot girl zine days to protest some of the different forms of sexism that she sees in the film, or sorry, in in her high school by creating an anonymous zine that she starts leaving in the girls' bathroom and around the school. So it's not just the dress code, it's the fact that the boys every year uh, they uh, in the fall they create a list ranking the girls based on their body parts, based on their kind of 
absolutely based on their sexual attractiveness. And I think one of the categories is most bangable girl, right? And so the, so she starts seeing, you know, why is it that we just are okay with this? And why is it that we just let this happen without doing anything? And I found it now she is white. She's straight. It is, uh, however diverse in terms of her supporting friends. And I actually think there's in some ways really, really compelling characters. So she has a black Latina. There's a new girl in school who like immediately is like, your school is weird. And why do you guys just let this stuff happen? And then there's a diverse group of, um, you know, girls who play various sports who don't understand why they're winning championship teams get ignored, but the mediocre football team gets all of this attention. So a lot of Title IX issues there because I'm sure you will continue to see that in in the high schools that even our kids are involved in, that the girls' teams can have an amazing season and you'll see mostly parents and best friends. And the big boy sports like football and basketball can have very mediocre seasons. Right. We see that at University of Maryland. The women, <laughs> the women's team having just won the yes. title in basketball. Right, exactly. And so my daughter plays field hockey and I totally see that. You know, you know, the best year that her high school had ever had and very little, very little uh, you know, sort of spectatorship or right. Uh, you know, only getting mentioned in right. the newspaper because they had to send somebody there. Um, right. So I really enjoyed it. I definitely think that it's a good one to watch with boys and girls. I will say that uh, the male sort of, um, I mean, he's definitely sort of the antagonist is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger and Maria Shriver's son. And he has a hilariously punchable face. So very attractive, as you would imagine <laughs> their, their child to be in some ways. But I picture um, like a, a Draco Malfoy Yeah, character. exactly. Absolutely. Like you look at him and you're like, you're pretty, but I really want to punch you. So yeah. they, did, they did a good job <laughs> casting him. I think he's probably in his early 20s. But um, And just the show uh, was just, I mean, it's short, it's sweet, and there is... Uh, a book, which I think is great because if you decide to see it first, you can then go back and read it and sort of see the differences. Jennifer Matthew? Yes, exactly. And she is from Texas. She was a librarian and a teacher and then wrote this book. And, uh, you know, again, a lot of the feminist themes, it's not exact as most adaptations are not, they can't be, but I think it really captured the spirit of the book. I would say the only misstep is that there's an almost too casual mention of a sexual assault accusation. And I don't think they gave that enough sort of weight in the, in, in, in the show, in the movie. But I think that it is still of, you know, of a good movie to watch, particularly with teens uh, of any gender. It's not one just to pop in and watch and then not talk about. But I also think for those of us who are Gen X parents, it also gives us a chance to talk about our time as teens and how much, you know, how much things have changed. Right, right. Speaking of rape, rape culture, since we're on that, on that theme, uh, Promising Young Women, an Oscar nominee, which was announced today. Um, the uh, the the write up on on your website, um, Common Sense Media, was that parents need to know that Promising Young Women is a dark revenge comedy feminist thriller about a woman named Cassie Carrie Mulligan who pretends to be a drunken vixen to test men's good intentions. The ones who try to take advantage of her inability to consent are in store for an epic reckoning. And now that one is 
really, I think, uh, speaking of moxie, it's taking moxie. It's got a lot more moxie than moxie. Um, a much darker theme and a theme of revenge, especially. Absolutely. I would say that that is, you know, moxie times three uh, with much more mature and dark themes because, you know, they are adults, you know, fully fledged adults and in their 20s, I believe, I think, you know, in their late 20s. And Carrie Mulligan's character is fascinating. It almost has, for a while, you're like, am I watching a horror movie? Like at the very beginning, yeah, you're not, like, you're not really sure. Like, the trailer looks like this is a serial killer movie. Like what is going on? Yes. And I think the director who also wrote it, um, Emerald Fennell, she purposely does that, right? She's playing with these genres so that you're not sure. You are incredibly uncomfortable and you understand your own discomfort while you're watching it. And because there's so much tension and you don't know what she's going to do to these men because she is completely sober, but pretending. And what I thought was amazing about the movie, Keith, for uh, especially adults of a certain age who are familiar with uh, a bunch of different shows is that the men that she cast are men who always, who've played good guys right. on different shows. So you've got Adam Brody, who was, you know, the beloved sort of brother figure in the OC. And you've got, you know, the, the actor who plays Schmidt in, in New Girl. You've got, um, there's one character who played literally a midwife on the show The Practice. Right. So you can see how sensitive a character, right? A what male midwife. Wrong, right? Yeah. So, right. So she does this wonderful job of even as an audience member, you're like, but he's the good guy. He's the sweet mm. guy. He's almost the beta guy yeah, right. in the things that you have seen before. Right. And here, even the, because that is the idea, right? Even nice guys who seem like they just have your, your goodwill and they're going to drive you home ha- can have something else on their mind. So it was really unforgettable, I would say. You will not forget it when you watch it. You may not like it in the sense that she does things that many directors would not be brave enough to do with her main character. But I love the fact that it was, you know, written directed by a woman. I love that. I love how much Carrie Mulligan obviously trusted her as a filmmaker. And, you know, they, they both got Oscar nominations today. So congratulations right. to both of them. And, um, obviously it's, it's a record breaking year in terms of diversity on both fronts because racial and ethnic and gender because of the fact that not just promising young woman, but nomad land which is also written and directed by a woman, Chloe Zhao, also got nominated. And, mm. I, and I think it is the very first year that two women have been nominated for director. Right. Um, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, obviously, I'm, I'm trying to remember if that was nominated, if it was just Chad Mc, Chadwick Boseman that was nominated or if that was, I don't think that was in Best Picture. No, it wasn't. <laughs> So that wasn't in Best Picture, but uh, Viola Davis was also nominated, mm-hmm. and which makes sense because there mm-hmm. is no way you could all in that particular movie. I'm not sure how you could nominate Chadwick Boseman and not nominate her when their their roles are sort of intricately uh, entwined. Um, I don't know if you saw the Golden Globes, but his widow gave the most beautiful and profound speech and mm. she and then they sh- kept showing Viola Davis who was naturally mm. like all of us watching was weeping so um i you know there are many nominations that i am really happy about like i am every year and then there mm. are many nominations that i wish there had been room for like that, what you know, what would you have snuffed. wished that didn't get 
put in? So I'm very surprised and sad that Delroy Lindo's performance in Defy Bloods, which is not really a family uh, flick, but that is, you know, the Vietnam era drama by Spike Lee that came out on Netflix, you know, earlier last year. And Chadwick Boseman is also in that, uh, in fact. Uh, And it was, Delroy Lindo is always excellent. And if you look at his filmography, he is just one of those actors that knows exactly what he's doing. And, and, and I, you know, it's sort of like Giancarlo Esposito is another one like that, where you just, he knows, he knows when you're, when you know, when you see him in something, if you're going to get a wonderful performance. So I was sad for him because I just think he did an incredible job and got a lot of the other nominations. So that was a little bit surprising. And then in the documentary category, even though I really liked the documentaries, and in fact, we, we spoke about one of them the last time we chatted, but the documentary Boy State, which I do think is incredibly family friendly and is about the governor's uh, camps for very high achieving boys across the country. And in this case, it's in Texas. It really made us so in- invested in the boys. And, you know, they have to have their own elections for governor. And it just sort of shows. And so one is more conservative and one is more progressive. And just to see how the, the politics on the national scale were affecting these teenage boys and how they were going about their own sort of microcosm. And it is Texas. So some of the things that happened were a little bit to be expected. But I think as we watched, we just got so invested in that film and thought it was, thought it was great. So that was a little bit like, oh no, it was a, it was sort of a a personal favorite. But I think that happens every year. You know, speaking about representation and diversity, this is Disney animation's first film about a Southeast Asian. So there's Mulan and she is Chinese. And this is the Southeast Asian cultures. It is not one specifically, but there are uh, sort of, you can see the influences from many of those different countries, right? So there's Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia and Thailand. There are a lot of, you can see a lot of elements from the various countries in that film. I also really appreciated that there was no romance. So there is, you, you can see that film without thinking, okay, where's the prince or where's the knight or like Frozen? You know, or... Yes, there's, and even though I enjoyed those two, and you know, Frozen's really, I would say, more about sisterhood than romance, but I just enjoyed that there was not, it wasn't about that. It was about friendship and teamwork and sort of coming into your own and, you know, sort of this idea of unity, which I think we could all use, right? This particular mm. year after last year. Uh, so I, I thought it was great. The main character is voiced by Kelly Marie Tran. Kelly Marie Tran it will be known to Star Wars fans. And, um, you know, she was, I forget her character's name, Rose. Rose. <laughs> it immediately came to me. Um, she's in that. And Sandra Oh is in it. Gemma Chan from the Crazy Rich Asians uh, movie is in that. Uh, her Raya's father is played by Daniel J. Kim, who many will remember from Lost and Hawaii Five-0. Uh-huh. So it is a uh, representation in the voice acting is real. No one is pretending to be Asian who's not, which is a real problem, you know, even in Disney. So I just thought they did, a, you know, a great job with, the movie and there are some really funny sidekick characters that I think younger kids will enjoy her the naked and- baby shows up yes just that <laughs> there's just this hilarious naked 
pickpocketing baby who has um, little monkeys as as best friends. Uh, she's she's in it, and then she's adorable. And then also Raya's kind of best friend is like a roly poly, like a giant roly poly. So uh, again, there are fantasy elements. Do not expect that you're going to see it and th- and know exactly where they are, but the elements are there from these Southeast Asian cultures. And I do think it means a lot to, you know, the Asian community to be able to see that. And I think they obviously are having a very good year in terms of representation with Minari and Lee Isaac Chung and Steve Young and the, uh, you know, the many nominations that they have and Chloe Zhao from Nomadland. So it is, it is a good year for Asian representation in award nominated films. Yeah. All right. So there's a lot to watch and a lot to catch up on. I mean, um, looking at the Oscar list here, which is what, April 23rd? The Oscars are announced April 23rd, I think? I think so. I, I have to say that this year has felt like a decade. So I, am, yeah. I have not done the greatest job of like having the dates because this cycle, I mean, we would never be so late in the year seeing right. the Academy Awards. So, right. so I've you know, lost all sense of time. I mean, there were years when I would have just been watching live in the morning, the nominations. And today I was like, oh, right, they came out. So yeah. I think it just sort of shows you what kind of year we've had. When- have we, have, do you think we've lost our sensitivity to events? Like, like, it's almost as if because they're online, like, oh, they're not real events anymore. Well, I can tell you that I didn't watch the Grammys at all. And, uh, and I heard that cool things happened and I saw some pictures, but I just, it wasn't even something that we talked about or even were bothering about this year. And I think in another year, we might have, I mean, we did watch the Golden Globes and we're aware of that. And and again, it's not like we dislike music, but it was not something that my family in any way had on their radar other than when the notification started coming in about some of the record-breaking wins by Taylor Swift or Beyonce or things like that. So Again, I do think even the uh, the Golden Globes had the worst viewership in rec- in recent history. I'm not sure about the Super Bowl uh, if that had an effect this this year as yeah, well. It'd be interesting to to look up to dig up to see. I would be I'd be shocked if the NFL has had uh, a, a, a dent in its viewership because of the pandemic. Right, and that's a different kind of involvement from fans. Whereas I think the Academy Awards, again, because they're so late, I mean, the fact that they would be coming at the end uh, or not even, I mean, right, April's already the second quarter of of the year. So it just, it never happens that late. And we just sort of need to get it over with and move on yeah. to this, whatever's happening this year. I would like to know if, you know, if going to the theater will ever even be a possibility again. I know. So I know there's a lot of things we're keeping our fingers crossed. Um, there's a there's a film that made best original screenplay as well as best picture nomination that which is Judas and the Black Messiah. So about the FBI under I think J. Edgar, J. Edgar Hoover's FBI um, going after a Black Panther leader um, and investigating. That looks really interesting. I am very pleased, Lakeith Stanfield. And uh, Daniel Kaluuya got nominations today. I don't think they were both expected to, especially Lakeith Stanfield, who was in the supporting character. Well, they both were, which is odd. It's a little bit odd to me, but they were both supporting <laughs> supporting nominees. But um, 
there was a little bit of controversy about the fact that Daniel Kaluuya is actually English. And I don't know if this we are the right people to have this conversation mm-hmm. since neither of us are descendants of, uh, of, of slaves. But I know that uh, there was this thought that some of these iconic Black actual people were being played on film by English Black actors. So you have mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman, who was played by Cynthia Erivo. You have MLK, who was played by David Oyelowo. And now you have, um, you know, I think it's Fred Hampton, right? Who was played right, by Daniel guy, yeah. Kaluuya. So in all of these cases, and I'm sh- I think there might've been a couple more, there was this sense by African-American, and I'm using that term specifically because they, you know, to dif- differentiate from the the Black English actors um, right. and that they're African-American actors who were like, I don't understand. They, this is not, you know, they have their own history. They have their own immigration story to England, but they're not, they're not Americans. So, uh, but on the other hand, many of the white superheroes who are distinctly American were played by Brit- white British actors, right? So mm-hmm. I think it just sometimes has to do with who's auditioning. And, you know, I happen to think all of the actors that I named did a really good job, but I know that that was something that he had to deal with during this um, sort of what we call sort of award season was having to answer that question. Are you the right person to play Fred Hampton because of the fact that he is English? And I think there, you know, I think, you know, it's sort of like Idris Elba. I mean, there's many who have come from different parts of you know, whether it's Nigeria or Sierra Leone and that they go straight to England and England has such a wonderful way of promoting and supporting its actors, the craft of acting, theater work. You can go to school and very prestigious schools for dramatic arts. It's just very different here in the United States. So fascinating to talk about, but yeah, so Daniel Kaluuya did a wonderful job and he was also in Get Out, as you may recall, but not not American at all. He's English. <laughs> right. And it, it says something about their acting as well, too, I think, when you can't tell that they're English necessarily. Um, I, re- I remember the first time that I was talking to someone who had no idea that Hugh Laurie from House was a very, very famous <laughs> English comedian. And this person just had no clue and they were our age. They clearly weren't someone who, you know, they didn't know who Stephen Fry was, obviously. But it was an interesting conversation because I realized, okay, yeah, British and Australian actors have to do perfect American accents to get work. But American actors don't have to know different accents to get work. So they just aren't usually as good at it. Right, right. I can generalize because Hollywood is still the dominant film and television industry so it just doesn't go both ways right so you're reminding me um i was surprised to see that it's paul bettany who plays vision in wandavision mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so he's one of my favorite characters from this the movie that seems to always be on tv and we always watch it a knight's tale <laughs> oh right <laughs> 2001 movie um but paul bettany is is the is the um uh, the muse or i guess you i guess in and you call it a knight's tale so and he clearly plays a british Character there, and when you envision, he's not playing a, a, with a British accent. I imagine in Wandavision, actually, he sort of does. Is he it? sort of does have a, an English accent because, again, he's not 
Hume in it. So it's like a voice, but I maybe it, it's either English or it's sort of that sort of English sounding mid-Atlantic Catherine Hepburn-esque sort of accent. But no, I, I do think it's just English, mm-hmm. uh, even though obviously he has no nationality. <laughs> He has no no story. (laughs) Well, it's like when you're watching Game of Thrones and you're like, this is a made-up fantasy universe. Why does everyone have to have an English accent? So these are conversations that are had. Deep conversations. (laughs) (laughs) As to like, I think again, because we as, as, you know, sort of American English speaking Americans, to us, the English is the other, but we can still understand it. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. sort of the way it comes off right. in right. in things that we're watching. Right. Um, say a little bit, Sandy, about Common Sense Media. That's something we didn't say much about at the beginning here to kick things off. But um, you know, what, any any kind of a brief summary about kind of what you what you do with Common Sense and and what Absolutely. they're what they're doing now. I mean, uh, Common Sense Media is where you see it on any if you have Netflix or if you see it. You see it in the reviews on your media provider, usually. Yeah, I would say that Common Sense Media has grown to the point where I can't even tell you all of the partnerships that they have with various companies now where you can see the reviews are just kind of seamlessly woven into different cable providers and different... I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. So Common Sense Media, uh, I began writing for them in... 2005 in the sense that I had, I was a partner media writer when I worked at Movie Phone and I had a family film guide where I would write the review and I would get the proprietary grid from Common Sense. After I left AOL, because everyone leaves AOL eventually, uh, I got hired to be one of their you know, movie reviewers. And it's not a full-time gig, but I have been writing for them as a senior reviewer now for, I guess that's 14 years in Hmm. January. And so through that time, I have seen it grow so much. And what we do is we make it easy for parents to sort of have the quick hits as to what the kind of content that their family and their children are consuming is. So whether it is a movie or a book, an app, a video game, I think they do music, although I've never been involved with that, but, you know, definitely, uh, all of the other genres and, and media, you can see what the age appropriateness is based on different child psychologists and educators rubrics please take the time now to subscribe to the soul of life wherever you're listening give it a thumbs up or write a positive review that's the best way to make sure you don't miss out on these amazing episodes planned for season two and then you can make your own decision for your family we don't tell anybody what to do and we are not religiously or politically affiliated we have it's really not even morally kind of it's not it's not a like a moralizing kind of tone it's really just like here's what happens and here's what you should know right Um, Uh, you know and i do think that we are not there are other places that count the number of curse words and i appreciate that we don't do that i just give you a general idea and the idea is that we we love media but we realize that parents don't have the time to see and read and listen and play everything that their children are asking. And now we're sort of oversaturated with different things for their... Can't keep for, up. It's so you hard. Know, 
I, it's a, it's impossible. So I also love, and I don't have any part of this, but the editors do it. And I think they do such a good job while we reviewers are doing our part is that they make these best of lists that are based on the different things we've reviewed. Um, and then those are really helpful. And I, and I give those to different families all the time. I send them the links because they break them up into genres or into kinds of books or games. And sometimes it's age-based and sometimes it's just, you know, best fantasies. And you can just sort of go through those. And recently, I think both the books department and the movies department did best books to read by age 12 and best movies to watch by age 12. And they did seek input from the main reviewers from those sections. Like you hear the kind of like, in my opinion, sort of vanilla, sort of neutral kind of review that someone like you might write. They mm-hmm. just sort of just the facts. Here's some basic mm-hmm. plot. Here's what's, here are some themes. Here are things that you should be aware of if you have children. Um, and then, and then the parents get into it. Like, like, you know, one person wrote about WandaVision that, you know, this was, you know, this was appropriate for, you know, some, you know, for mature kids or something like that. But it was also very confusing and maybe kids might not like that. And then another, another parent was like, wait a minute, this is not confusing for kids at all. <laughs> this is confusing for adults. Who don't know what's going on. <laughs> right. Absolutely. No. On. And I think that's when you see the ideology and the values of the people who use common sense is through those reviews. And I'll never forget that, um, you know, and again, I, I'm not here to say that anything that your family values is wrong or right. And, um, except for the fact that I'm going to say a kiss and it's a kiss to me as a kiss. And, um, if you read in my actual summary that the character is LGBT, then you can make an assumption based on that. But I am not going to spell out whether it's two men kissing or two women kissing or a teenage boy and a teenage girl, like I just say kissing. And I appreciate that. Um, uh, we have had very, very conservative readers write in their complaints about certain things. And we've had very, very liberal progressive readers who write in with their complaints. You so get it from I both sides, so, yeah, which, is, and, which and, probably means you're doing a great job. And I would say that especially much more on the conservative side, I would say, <laughs> than on the progressive side, there are other options. If what you're looking for is a religious Media kind guide. of overview yeah. and guide, there yeah. are options for you. We are still, we're still reviewers. So I love that it's independent. Um, I can give five stars to something that I would rate 17 plus. And I can give a film that is aimed at families. I can still give it two stars or one star, even if I just feel like it's a waste of your family's time. Um, I do think sometimes we forget that something we might dislike is something that kids will enjoy. Um, So an example of that is I didn't personally love the new Tom and Jerry movie. And I think I did give that two stars. And I think there were, you know, there were a couple of the reviews um, I don't know if it was on Common Sense or somewhere else where there were kids saying, but I loved it. <laughs> and I was like, and that's why I gave it two stars and not one star. I was just looking up to see if Free for Madness was in Common Sense Media. Oh. And it's, not, it's not in there for some reason. I'll have was... to let my editor know that there's a request. We actually do take them. We, we do take requests. I would and... love to read that review about the scene, the scene with Jesus, <laughs> the religious... There's, there's so much to unpack in Reefer Madness. Give it up for Jesus! I'm here to help you, Jimmy, and return you to the fold. 
Try filling your lungs with God and not just make Him go. Do you wanna make the angels cry? The funny thing is I get a lot of the Christian movies to review because I do identify as a Christian. I am not an evangelical Christian, but I am a Christian. And so I do, uh, and I, and I judge those against other Christian films because it's a, to me, it's a different genre. And a lot of times it's sort of would a, would a church group want to go see this and why is a different question than would an atheist secular audience want to go see this? They're never going to want yeah. to see yeah. this movie. Yeah. But for what it is, some of them are better than others, just like any other movie. Right. And, you know, that's something that I, I, I do take seriously. Like as the, what are, what are the production values and the acting? I mean, mm-hmm. it's always going to have an evangelical theme because that's what many of these faith-based movies are are trying to do, but they're they're not all as successful as movies. You're also a real um, book reader as well as are we, and I think that's the asterisk to put around this. As much as we talk about all the media, where we seem to be consuming um, on on TV and film and on screen, um, reading is another passion of yours, and could be a whole other topic for another day. I- I would love to talk about books. I feel like this year I've probably been more invested in books than in, in even film. And I was telling someone that there, there, there might be something to be said about the fact that I watched the American Library Association, you know, the Caldecott, Newbury, mm. Coretta Scott King Awards live streaming very early in the morning in January, but for the Oscar nominations, just sort of waited until they showed up in my <laughs> notifications. So yes, right. I'm very committed to my books and love talking to families trying to uh, kind of nudge their children back to reading because what people don't realize is that kids stop reading for pleasure, a really large percentage of them once they get to middle school. And we really need to unpack that as a society. So I actually am the co-sponsor at a high school of a book club that is also a service-based organization. And they pick the books. The books are all written by uh, by diverse authors and not just diverse racially and ethnically, but all sorts of diversity. And we have so much fun discussing those books. And so it really warms my heart to see at least these 15 students every other week who do want to read because I know so many others for so many reasons are just reading what they're assigned to read in school. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much good stuff to read. My wife being a reading specialist and a reading teacher, and also just like you interested in young adult fiction. Um, we, we often have this fantasy, like, you know, what would, what would you do if you won, you know, $50 million or something like, and often it's like one of the things that we would include in that is some, some sort of literacy program, like just, just supporting reading. If there's one thing you could pick in the world that could probably change more lives than it would it would it be a medical intervention would it be computing science would it be we we would choose probably reading <laughs> you know and and it, in in light of the topic we're talking about film and screen productions um that's that's one of the things that we think is the most important thing in the world is literacy absolutely and i do think that's why sometimes these adaptations are great because it does get audiences sort of in some ways you can think of them as a trailer for the book because if you really liked the film or the show you're like well what did that even and I you know that happened to me I I loved the Queen's Gambit I went back and read it Come back and read the book and yeah. and yeah, it you, was immediate <laughs> for me I'm reading I don't know if you got into this series but the Chernobyl I think it's just called Chernobyl that was on Netflix mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago we watched that and 
just loved it. Um, I love historical fiction or I just love nonfiction. Um, and so I, I just picked up the Chernobyl book, which is like this thick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but because right. I watched that film. <laughs> or Hamilton. Hamilton, yes. the musical got people really interested in all things Hamilton, including Ron Chernow's uh, you know, the, the biography that he wrote and yes. that's a doorstopper. Yeah. And then there were several young adult books about, about both Hamilton and Eliza, you know, and I think that yeah. there was yeah. just, uh, and I think people just wanted more and more and more. And so I, I am one of those people that grew up a little bit of a snob about what I read. And then during the last administration, I, I think it's okay to say I needed escapism. Mm-hmm. And I started reading romance novels. And I thought, mm-hmm. where had these books been all my life? Why was I such a snob and thinking I had to be reading award-nominated literary fiction mm-hmm. or nonfiction mm-hmm. for it to count? Romance, in many cases, is written by women who have PhDs from Ivy League colleges and, and are experts in the actual historical context that they're writing in. Not all of them, because just like any other kind of, uh, of, of genre, there are Daniel great Steele, books. Daniel do you think? No, I'm not sure about Daniel <laughs> Steele, but like I have read some really, really smart and really well done romance novels. And there are romance, there's a romance. I just joke that there's a romance for every, every kind of person. Mm. So, so I no longer am someone who says I don't read X because that's just not true. Right. Mm-hmm. And I tell my kids not to say that, not to say I don't read, I don't listen, I don't right. watch right. X because there will always be an exception and it'll open your eyes and we all need to be open to yeah. that idea. Right. It's sort of like when you think I don't, oh, I don't watch Westerns and then you see Unforgiven or you see a wider film or, you know, whatever it might be. And then you're like, oh, that was a Western. You know, yeah. frankly, Star yeah. Wars is a Western, right? The yeah. Mandalorian was a Western. So I think right. that we all need right. to get out of our sort of bubbles in so many different ways. And one of them is to to sort of read and watch beyond beyond the walls that we've set up for ourselves and the comfort yeah. that we and for me for one of those things was horror i'm not a big horror person but i have seen some really kind of curated for me by my friends you well, stranger things I, I imagine yeah. might have been interesting for you Right. stranger things are like um you know and and again they really are horror but midsummer uh, that was something that really pushed the boundaries of what I would feel comfortable watching. But I would mm. say it's an it's an excellent film. But yes, it's horror and it's really hard to watch. And I probably wouldn't watch. I'm never going to be the kind of person that wants to watch horror every weekend. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do think it's good to stretch our viewing and our reading habits that way. Don't believe so everything. Thanks again, you, don't believe everything you think. I had a guest, uh, Harvard researcher on mindfulness and positive psychology, the mother of mindfulness. And uh, Ellen Langer, she, she one of the things she kept saying is like, we have to remember that we don't know. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. to go around packing your mind with things that you know is is such a such a um, sets you sets you up in so many ways to not know things mm-hmm, and to really mm-hmm. be ignorant of things. So to, to instead go around saying, well, maybe you you don't know. So uncertainty, you know, the uncertainty principle. Great to speak with you, Sandy Angulo Chen. So so great to talk about these films and productions and hope to speak with you again soon. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to do it again. Thanks for listening to The Soul of Life. This is Keith Miller. Oh, and don't forget, please leave a thumbs up or a like for this episode wherever you're listening so that others like you may find the soul of life. I mean, really, it's not every day you get to share the soul of life with someone. Okay, so... You can post a comment or question on souloflifeshow.com. I'd love to hear from you. And please subscribe now to get the next episode. I look forward to sharing more of my soul of life with you. I like it and it's not hard.
close to my eardrum. All right, I will go. 